At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. In the time that we have here tonight, would you turn to Luke chapter 7, if you have a Bible here tonight. And as, as we look at the world and as we look at the subject of missions or the Great Commission ministry in our day, um, there's a lot of different perspectives on that that we can have humanly. And you know, we, we live in an absolutely wicked world, and uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody here questions that. We live in a world that is, is absolutely filled with sin. Sin is uh, maybe perhaps more accessible today than it ever has been just through technology and all the different things that we have. And the, the proliferation of evil and wickedness is, is an obvious part of American culture. It's an obvious part of Western culture in general. Um, that's true in Hungary as well. And uh, not just the, uh, the evil in the world today uh, uh, is, is oppressive, but the, um, really the different religious ideas that people have today um, are really challenging. And, you know, we live in a day where somebody can, you know, just click on the internet and they can get any religious idea they want to out there. We live in a day where you could have a congregation of um, of, of well-meaning, faithful people who want to learn the Bible and understand it, and, and they could literally be influenced by ev everybody uh, 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 out there in the world from every Christian church, from every denomination, from every background, from every point of view. Um, and those things are really challenging. We live in a day uh, where people are, 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 are blinded by materialism, by things that uh, maybe make them feel secure and happy in life without God. We certainly have a lot of that here in America. And there's a lot of challenges. And, and as, as you and I look out at, at, at maybe the mission field, you could say in 2020, whether that's in America, whether that's in Hungary, in a lot of ways, it's a hard mission field. And there's, there's a lot of challenges with that. There's a lot of obstacles with that. And, you know, as, as, as you and I serve God and as we move forward in the work of reaching people and accomplishing God's will in the Great Commission, there are a lot of obstacles and there are a lot of setbacks and there are a lot of uh, discouraging things that happen in our lives. And that's true on the mission field as well. Um, you know, the idea that uh, people are on the mission field just waiting and dying for somebody to come confront them with the truth of the gospel, that is not true everywhere in the world, okay? Um, now, maybe it's true in some places in the world, okay? But um, it's, it's not true everywhere in the world, that that's people's receptiveness. And, you know, the, the work of the Great Commission in many ways is, uh, is, is, is a, a great challenge. It is a work of faith. It is a work that is a, a spiritual battle in the lives for the lives and hearts of people. And it's a great work to be a part of, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. And uh, as, as we look at just the reality of trying to reach people in our day, I don't know what your experience is, um, but it's, it's, it's easy, especially as a missionary, to have maybe one of two perspectives on 
the work of God on a mission field. You can either, on the one hand, um, be sort of naively idealistic about your mission field. And uh, I had a, a measure of that when I went over to Hungary four years ago. I think everybody does. And uh, you have, you know, these expectations in your mind that once I get over there, people are just going to, uh, you know, respond immediately to every uh, piece of truth I try to give them. And God is just going to open these doors right away. And we're going to have this tremendous, powerful ministry, and uh, people are going to get saved, and there's going to be churches that are uh, just changed uh, overnight uh, because I go there and preach to them, and you know these kind of. Th you, you have these these visions and these dreams that are from God, and they're good. Um, um, but you you know, on the one hand, we can have kind of this naive idealism. Um, about the work of the ministry. But on the other hand, the other extreme um, is kind of this, this uh, cynical attitude that um, takes all the commands of the Bible. You know, we're supposed to go into all the world. We're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to make disciples of, of, of the nations. We're supposed to baptize them. And we're supposed to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. And uh, we take all those commands, and we take all of the promises that go along with those commands in the New Testament, and we say, well, you know, that's all good. You know, I believe that. But, you know, it's, it's just different here. It doesn't work today, or it doesn't, uh, uh, it, uh, in my particular circumstance, it, it doesn't happen in my life like that. And people aren't changed through my life. And, you know, yeah, maybe God meant well when he gave us the Great Commission, and maybe uh, the Bible is true like that, but, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just isn't happening. And, you know, we, we, we develop this kind of cynical attitude toward the work of the ministry that sort of just accepts things the way they are and um, is really discouraged and sort of throws everything back at the feet of God and says, well, you know, if God wants this to be different, then he's just going to have to drop down and do something about this because... What God tells us to do in the Bible just isn't happening, and um, we can have that other extreme. And I, and you know, I think all of us, um, if you're saved here tonight, if you've ever tried to involve yourself in the work of the ministry, um, in the work of reaching people, sharing the gospel with people, discipling people, all of us uh, at some time in our lives are, are somewhere between those two extremes. I think in the ministry, just humanly, okay, we're either on the side of uh, of enthusiasm and optimism, and uh, you know, if I just go out there and preach the gospel, people are going to get saved. All this stuff is going to happen, and then uh, you know, uh, everywhere between that and the the sort of cynical side that says, well, you know, I'm just going to sit back, and you know, if God really wants to make this promise happen, then let him come down and go do that. And uh, I think uh, of all the passages in the Bible, I think one of the greatest passages that illustrates this is found in Luke chapter 7, and it's, it's repeated in, in some of the other Gospels as well. But we find in Luke chapter 7, Jesus doing some pretty remarkable things in his ministry. And it, and it begins with the healing of the centurion's servant. And you remember that story? Jesus uh, has this uh, a centurion, he has a servant that's sick, and he sends, um, he sends uh, 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 his uh, friends, the Jews, to go to Jesus and uh, get Jesus to come and heal his servant, and Jesus is on his way to go heal his servant, and uh, he sends a message out to Jesus, and he says, um, you know, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus says of that man, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And, and this Gentile 
centurion who had a position of leadership in the Roman uh, system, in the Roman army, in the Roman government. <laughs> God got a hold of that guy's life and did some powerful things through him. And then we have uh, 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 the next uh, uh, account here is Jesus walking into the city of Nain, and he sees a funeral procession walking by. And uh, a widow's son, her only son, had died, and they were walking out with the casket, and Jesus walks up to the casket, and he says, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the dead man sat up. And he rose from the dead. And, that, and that's powerful. And, 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 and in the midst of all these powerful things that are happening in Jesus' ministry, the disciples of John the Baptist come to, uh, 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 come to him, come to John the Baptist in prison, and they tell him about all those things. And see, John the Baptist uh, uh, was in a really interesting position right now. While Jesus was doing all these wonderful things and preaching the gospel, and people were following him, people were being healed, and, and all of this, John the Baptist was in prison. And he was imprisoned by King Herod for uh, confronting him with his immorality there, marrying his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And John is there in prison while all of these Miraculous, powerful things are happening. And I don't know that any of us have ever been in the exact place that John the Baptist was in, but I think a lot of us have, have felt at one time or another the way that he probably felt there in the prison. And, um, you know, missionaries go through this sometimes, too. You, you know, you read a prayer letter from some guy in, in Africa or some other place in the world, and, um, you know, they have a revival campaign, and, and, you know, hundreds of people get saved, and they've seen, you know, five or six churches planted in the last four years. And, these, you know, you read these kind of things. And, and, and it feels kind of like John Felker. You know, all this powerful stuff is happening out there. And I'm here in prison, and I don't really see any of that powerful stuff happening around me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're in that situation, you know, it's easy to think, well, okay, maybe God's hand is on all those people out there, and, and God uh, just doesn't want to do that through my life, or God just doesn't want to impact people through my life. And it's easy to feel that way. And I could imagine John the Baptist feeling that way. And uh, he called two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus in verse 19 here in chapter 7. And their message to Jesus was really simple. He's, he, they said, Art thou he that should come? Are you really the promised Messiah? Or look we for another? Now that's a really interesting question. In light of everything that was going on here, which maybe John didn't know everything that was going on in Jesus' ministry. That's probably true. But in light of all that, he asked the question, Are you the real Messiah? Or is there somebody else? Why did John feel like that? Well, I think one of the, I don't know everything that was going on in his mind, but I, I could imagine one of the reasons was all of the Messiah's power and authority didn't have any impact in John's life there in the prison. It didn't do anything to change Herod's heart. It didn't do anything to change the hearts of those other people in the palace where John the Baptist was. Maybe it was happening out there, but it hadn't done anything in his life personally. He was discouraged by that. He was genuinely discouraged by that. And then Jesus gives this tremendous answer. 
to John. The Bible says in verse 21, In that same hour he, Jesus, cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. You know, there were a lot of people that hated Jesus. There were a lot of people that hated the idea that you can't get to heaven by being a good person. There were a lot of people that hated his confrontational preaching. There were a lot of people that hated his popularity with the people. And there was opposition. Herod was a wicked man. He didn't respond to the gospel. But at the same time, God was doing something there in Israel, and it was real. And it wasn't just people getting healed. The Bible says uh, in the end of verse 22, Jesus says, to the poor the gospel is preached, and a lot of those people believed it. And that's how it always is. In the midst of difficulty and opposition and discouragement and powerlessness and all of these things that you and I experience, God has not stopped working in this world. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, Jesus' promise there in Matthew 28, he says to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The world hasn't ended yet. And what God intends to accomplish through the Great Commission has not ended yet either. And God is still interested in doing powerful things today. And see, the thing that uh, he wants us to understand is that he does all these powerful things at the same time all of this opposition and disappointment and discouragement is happening. It goes together at the same time. And that's what he wanted John the Baptist to understand about this. And see, John was in a really, really tough position because, you know, God had given him promises from the time he was, a, he, from the time he was born. There were promises on John's life of what God intended to do with his life. We read about that in the first chapter of Luke. If you want to turn there, this is, this is a real powerful promise that God gives through his father, Zacharias, at the end of Luke chapter 1. This is when John was born. He, his father prophesies about him and says, beginning in verse 76, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And this is the purpose of John's life here, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was John's calling on his life. There's a lot of powerful stuff there. He's going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to prepare people to believe on him. He's going to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. John is going to prepare the way for that to happen. The day spring from on high has visited us. 
God is going to work in the lives of the people in Israel through this child, John the Baptist, and then through the real Messiah when he comes. God is going to do something in this country. That was God's promise to him when he was a baby, when he was born. To give light to them that sit in darkness. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And as John grew up, he remembered that. He knew that. This is what God wants to do with my life. He wants me to be the prophet of the highest. He wants me to, to, uh, to prepare the way of the Lord so that people can have knowledge of salvation and be forgiven from their sins so that people can have light and so that all the people in this country can go follow the way of peace and know what that is and be changed. And it was happening for a while. He was in the desert there on the other side of the Jordan River and he began his ministry preaching and baptizing people there. And the Bible says in, in, the, in the beginning of John's ministry, all Jerusalem and Judea went out there to hear him. That's a lot of people. Everybody knew John the Baptist. He preached to his whole country. And I can imagine as he was preaching there by the Jordan River, he's thinking about this prophecy. He's thinking about the calling of God on his life. And he's looking at this and he's saying, God, you're fulfilling this. I'm seeing this happen. People are turning to God and people are seeing the light and people are embracing this way of peace. And then uh, even Herod the king was interested in listening to John the Baptist to a certain extent. That's why he didn't completely kill him. He put him in prison because his wife pressured him to. You kind of get that idea from the account there. But even King Herod, wow. He had a personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism opportunity with the king in Israel. That's powerful, okay? You, you, you can imagine that in the 21st century here, okay? You know, it, it would be like, you know, I begin my missionary career, maybe my evangelistic career in America, and I spend, you know, maybe a, a year or two preaching all over the country. Everybody in America knows who I am. And thousands of people are listening to this message and they're embracing it. And then in the midst of all that, I get an invitation from the White House because President Trump wants to hear me preach the gospel to him. Now, that would be something. That's a pretty big ministry, okay? And then it all falls apart. And I think it was probably mostly Herod's wife who was upset about this, more than Herod. You kind of get that idea from this. When he started preaching about divorce and remarriage, which he preached about, actually, to Herod, in the context of the gospel, that was Herod's major sin issue in his life, immorality that way, Herod's wife got upset about that. And Herod got upset about that. And he threw John into prison because of that. And he eventually killed John. And, and, and in that prison, all of a sudden, the, the whole vision that John the Baptist had of his life and ministry, it all stopped. Pretty suddenly, okay? 
I mean, that was the end. I mean, he had, he had disciples that would come to him like we find out in Luke chapter 7, and he had communication with people. He knew a little bit about, I'm sure he knew what was going on in his country. But that public preaching ministry, that all stopped at that moment. And he didn't understand that. God called me to reach people. God called me to, uh, to see his power come down in my country. God called me to, to introduce all these people to Jesus. God called me to, to lead everyone in my country into the way of peace, to be right with God. And I had this opportunity with the, the king, the, the, uh, the, the, the Gentile king over my country, the most powerful guy around in the government, and then all of a sudden it's all over. But the work of God was not over in Israel. And see, it continued. And, and Jesus went on through the rest of his earthly ministry, healing people, delivering people from demonic possession, preaching the gospel to people, teaching people. And then they killed Jesus too. But he rose from the dead. And he ascended back to heaven. And he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit to those 120 initial disciples there in Jerusalem in that little congregation. And that whole country was changed by the impact of the gospel. And see, God's work was not over. And Jesus reminded John the Baptist of that. Even though Herod has put you in prison, John the Baptist, people are still getting saved. People are still having their lives changed. People are still being delivered from sin. God is not done working in the nation of Israel yet. And then Jesus gives this, this, this powerful promise here in, in Luke chapter 7. In verse 23, he says to these two disciples of John that come, Blessed is he, in verse 23, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. That person is blessed. Why would somebody be offended by Jesus? Why would somebody stumble over Jesus? Why would a Christian stumble over Jesus? Well, I'll... I'll I'll tell you why, because the work of God is not a human work, and it's, it's completely contrary to the way you and I think about things. It really is. You know, when you and I look at the world, when you and I look at the work of the gospel, we look at it humanly. We look at, you know, what can I do to change somebody's life? What can I do to make this happen? What can I do to do this and this and this? And it doesn't work that way with Jesus. Because God's ways are not man's ways, and God is so much higher and so much wiser than you and I are. And it's Jesus that builds his church, and he has a way of doing that, and he has a plan for doing that. And that plan never changes until the end of the world. And the blessed person is the one who continues to believe in him not with a naive, idealistic kind of faith that pretends like things are different than they really are, 
But a person who is willing to reject the discouragement and the cynicism and the human logic and the human arguments and to continue believing in Jesus in spite of everything that they see around them happening. That person is personally blessed by God. You see, God is the one that saves people. God is the one that changes people's lives. None of those people that were impacted by John the Baptist's ministry were impacted by John the Baptist. They were impacted because the hand of God and the Spirit of God was on his life. And see, as long as God is alive and at work in this world, this never changes. You may feel like God is is doing other things in other parts of the world or other parts of the country that are different than what he's doing here in your life, but God's work has not changed, and the blessed person is the one who believes in him and continues to believe in him and continues to expect him to do things. And the greatest illustration of that we find in this very chapter in Luke chapter 7. We looked at it already. Jesus walked into that city of Nain, and those people didn't even do anything. All they did was walk by in a funeral procession. And Jesus walks over there and says, Young man, arise. And the dead kid sits up in the casket and goes home to his mother. Anytime God wants to, he can do that. Do you believe that? See? It was a similar situation um, when Jesus was with his disciples in that storm on the Sea of Galilee, asleep in the boat. And they come to him and say, Master, save us, we perish. And Jesus stands up and he says, Peace be still. And it all stops. You know, if God is with us, and he is, okay, if you're saved, he lives in you. He's not going anywhere, okay? And if this is a genuine New Testament local church, it's the temple of God and habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. And God lives here among us, he's not going anywhere. And as long as God is here, he can stand up and say, peace be still, anytime he wants to. He can say to somebody, arise, and they rise from the dead, anytime he wants to. See, that never changes. See, God never changes, all right? The fact that the disciples went uh, halfway across that lake without Jesus standing up and calming the storm, that didn't change the fact that Jesus was able to do that. The fact that many dead people had gone to their graves without being raised from the dead doesn't mean that Jesus is no longer capable of walking into a funeral and saying, I say unto you, arise. He can still do that. The fact that uh, maybe great multitudes of people are not being saved in Grand Junction, Colorado, doesn't mean that God is incapable of doing that today. He can do it anytime he wants to do it. And see, what he wants from us is he wants us to believe this promise that the blessed person is the one who doesn't get discouraged and doesn't get cynical and doesn't get offended by Jesus' promises and commands in the Bible and just continues to believe them in spite of what you and I see. That's the person that God blesses. 
and he wants to bless us. He's the same God he always has been. And he loves this world as much as he always has loved this world. God is very much interested in the people in Hungary being saved. He's very interested in that. He's very interested in what goes on in the people's lives in this community here in Grand Junction, Colorado. That never changed. That's never changed. And see, he wants us to trust him, and he wants us to throw ourselves into his work wholeheartedly, even if it means getting thrown in jail and never preaching the gospel to anybody. You see, that's, that's what God is looking for. You know, he's looking for people who will, who will just throw themselves into the work of the Great Commission and say, God, you want to do something here. You told us to do this. You told us to make disciples. And God, you've got to make that happen. And I'm just going to throw myself into that. Regardless of what does or doesn't happen. But God, I'm going to expect you to do something. And I'm never going to give that up. That expectant faith. I'm not going to become cynical by the grace of God. I'm not going to rationalize this and try to come up with all kinds of explanations for why things are the way they are. God, I want to believe that you are the same God you always have been, and I want to see you do something with my life. God blesses that person who doesn't stumble over this. And by the grace of God, I want to be that kind of a person on the mission field. And by the grace of God, you and I in America can be those kind of people here. And God will do powerful things through us. And he will do powerful things in America if we will not be offended by him and continue to believe in him and and, and trust in him. He will do it, just as he did in Israel in John the Baptist's day. God's plan is not over. He's the same God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just remind us of this simple truth in your word. And God, would you encourage us? Would you give us a a vision for what you want to do in this world, what you want to do in America? And would you use us in that, Father? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray and according to Romans 10:13 call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ if you've made a decision to trust Christ let us know the number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113 someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours in addition the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road, 
And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.